So good to see you all here this morning. I look like a bright, colorful Easter egg this morning. If nobody's told you that you look good this morning, let me start by telling you that you look good this morning, and it's good to see you here. Uh, I do know that we have some guests with us today, so just uh, a couple of things. Uh, if you need the restrooms, if you go out either of the back doors to the sanctuary, you'll find a hallway that connects uh, the hallway that you're in, and the restrooms are right there. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, if you need the nursery, if you were to go out the doors on the back on this side of the sanctuary and go straight down the hallway, there's a nursery. Uh, and down this hallway, uh, if you went out these doors and straight back, there's also an extended session for those uh, two to four-year-olds. Just If there's anything else you need, we have ushers at the back. Let them know. They'll be glad to help you find what you need to find. But as we're speaking of finding things, if you would find with me 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have a Bible with you or a Bible that you can turn on. If not, we have, we'll have these verses for you this morning. But, but today, as we celebrate Easter, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which the choir has already done so beautifully, thank you so much, choir and Shane, for the work and the time and the effort that y'all put in to be prepared to share that with us this morning. This morning in 1 Corinthians 15, as we continue to, to think about Christ's resurrection, if you were able to join us for the early service this morning, we, we had an early service where we celebrated through the Lord's Supper, and, and we thought about His death in our place. Because, of course, that's where you start when we're looking at His resurrection. If He doesn't die, there's no need for a resurrection. So we looked at the fact that He died in our place, that He paid the price for our sins, and then this morning, now, I want us to look just at two things that we see in 1 Corinthians 15. There are a lot more here, but for this morning, just two things that we see, reflections about his resurrection. And if we see these two things, then I think that we'll be uh, well prepared to reflect and to thank the Lord for what he's done for us today. The first one that we're going to see is why his resurrection is such a big deal. Right, this is, this is one of the two days that we get most excited about of the year, Christmas and Easter. And, and why is his resurrection such a big deal? I want us to see that kind of in the, the big picture, why it's such a big deal. And then I also want us to see what his resurrection promises us personally. So we're kind of looking at his resurrection in the big picture and then in the small picture. We're going to see the forest and the tree, I pray, this morning. So look with me. In 1 Corinthians 15, I'll begin by reading for us verse 20. Paul, writing there to the church at Corinth, says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Here we see, as we, as we begin this, I really need to give you some context of what Paul has been talking about in the previous paragraphs. Because in verse 20, it sounds like we've just walked in right in the middle of a conversation. And if y'all have ever done that before, you know that's pretty dangerous. You walk in in the middle of a conversation and you think you know what's going on. And sometimes you look pretty foolish because you realize that you don't. So I want us to know what's going on here because in verse 20, he starts out with, but in fact. Well, that tells me that he's been talking about something. And Paul's sort of been having this debate in the letter with himself. He's having a debate with himself about 
the importance of Christ's resurrection. And he's really giving the, the dissenting side of the argument. There are a lot of people in this day and time that didn't believe that there was a such thing as the resurrection of the dead. They believed that when somebody died that they stayed dead, that they were not coming back to life. And because of that, they also would believe that Christ was dead and that he was still dead and that he wasn't coming back to life. And so Paul, for the last couple of paragraphs, has been talking about kind of giving those people's point of view, really discussing how pitiful it would be for Christians if Christ is still dead. And we can start there this morning. That is extremely true. If Christ is still dead, then Christians live a life that should be pitied. People should look at us and say, bless their heart. Because we base everything that we do, we base our entire lives on a lie, if in fact Christ is still dead. If Jesus went to the cross and was killed, and then was taken and laid in the tomb and is still there dead today, then all of this is pointless. Me wearing a bright blue jacket today is pointless. And the choir singing about Christ's resurrection is pointless. And you getting up and coming here is pointless. And the fact that we come here every week is pointless. And that you give money to the church is pointless. And that we, that we read the Bible and that we spend time praying. All of it's pointless because if you're praying in the name of Jesus who's still dead, if you're reading words that have been given to us and teachings that are given to us by Jesus who also said he was coming back to life but is still dead, then I can't believe any of it. Because Christ said, I'm going to die, and then I'm coming back to life. And if that's not true, then how do I know that any of the scriptures are true? So Paul makes a good point. Those people make a good point. If Christ is still dead, this is pointless. We should shut it down and go home now. And I could spend a lot more time here, but that's for another day. But that gives us point one this morning. Point one, Christ's resurrection is immeasurably important. The resurrection, the fact that he not only died, because that's, that's rarely something that people try to argue in history. People rarely try to argue the fact that Christ really died. There are a few, but most of them will try and argue the other side, that he is not alive, that he is still dead. So for us as Christians... To make sure that the Bible that we believe is true. To make sure that the practices that we follow are true. To make sure that the Christ that we trust in isn't just some other leader who was killed for his cause and is still dead. But that he's actually the Messiah, the God King that he said he was, that he's alive today, is immeasurably important. And that's where Paul starts in our text this morning. He gives his argument, if Christ is still dead, then this, and if Christ is still dead, then this. And then he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And brothers and sisters, those are good words to hear this morning. After everything that I just said that would be true if Christ was still dead, it's really good to hear from a credible source, from the scriptures that come, that are inspired by Almighty God himself, that in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And I want, to, I want to help you see, because the way that Paul says this has so much emphasis. This phrase, I've been astounded by this phrase, but in fact, this week I've spent a lot of time studying those three words. 
What he's saying is that, that right now, at this moment, this point is not debatable anymore. He says it with emphasis and vigor and excitement. But in fact, sometimes these words are translated, but now, right now, he says Christ has been raised. You can talk about what's true if Christ is dead all you want, but in fact, it doesn't matter because he's alive. That's what Paul says right here. I want to... I have an example that I want to give you. Some of you are going to know this. As soon as I start talking about it, you're, you're going to go back, a flashback. You're going to remember this. I want to give you an example that helps us see the emphasis that Paul puts here on this phrase, but in fact. The year was 2007. Some of you are too young. You don't remember 2007. But for us old people, 2007 just seemed like it was just yesterday. September 1st, 2007. The northern United States, fall is there, it's a little bit cool, the leaves might be starting to change just a little bit, and it's football season. And it's the first week of the year of college football, and Michigan, this is, I don't want to hurt anybody, this is back when Michigan was still really, really good, I know they're good now, but this is before they went through their down period, and so they're picked to win the Big Ten uh, they're picked to maybe be in the BCS. They're number five in both of the preseason polls. Michigan's a big deal this year. And their first opponent of the season coming into the big house is Appalachian State. Now, if you don't know much about Appalachian State, Appalachian State is a really, really good team in the FCS. But that's a step below where Michigan plays. So Michigan is a top five team in the top tier and Appalachian State is a really good team in the second tier. Now, Appalachian State comes in with a lot of disadvantages. That Their program had less money. They had fewer resources. You may not have known this, but, but being FCS instead of FBS, they had 22 fewer scholarship players than Michigan had. They're traveling to Michigan to play. And so, so here's kind of the air about this. This is the way that it's described. In the AP article the week leading up to the game, it says that Appalachian State weren't expected to be anything more than sacrificial lambs. That's how they decided to put it, I thought. Very fitting for this morning. I would tell you how much Michigan was picked to win by, but they were picked to win by so much that they didn't even set a line for the game. The, the odds makers in Vegas, and I don't condone gambling in any way, but the odds makers, they didn't even give a predicted outcome because Michigan was supposed to have won by so much. And so we kind of have the setup that Paul had given us here. All of these bad things. All of these negative things. You would hear this and you'd say, Appalachian State shouldn't even go play this game. Right? They're just risking getting hurt. There's none. They shouldn't even go and play the game. And here's where we see their transition. Because if you were an Appalachian State fan, or if you were one of the coaches or one of the players, you know what you'd say? Every bit of that's true. They're bigger, they're stronger, they had more scholarship players, they had more money, they had more resources. But in fact, we went and played, and in fact, we won the game. You see, they would be excited. There's not just, well, yes, yes, all that's true. But in fact, we played them and we beat them. Just real nice. That's not how it goes. You would be excited. You'd say, that's right. They were bigger and stronger. And we went and we beat them anyways. And when Paul says this, he says it with the same sort of excitement 
He says, yes, if Christ is dead, then all of this is worthless. But in fact, we don't have to talk about that because Christ isn't dead. He's alive right now at this very moment. He said, but now, right now, you can debate that then all you want, but now he's alive. He lives. He's in heaven. So the Bible can be believed. And this is not worthless. And what the choir is saying is true and it's real and it's meaningful. And so we should be excited about it. Paul says, but in fact, he is a risen Messiah. He is a God King who came to earth, died in our place, fulfilled his promise of coming back to life from the dead. And he's alive now. And you can believe every word of it because in fact, it is true. Brothers and sisters, we can't just believe Easter we can't just believe the story of Christ's resurrection. We have to celebrate Easter. If this is true, and it is in fact true, we have to be excited about the fact that Christ did come back from the dead. And I don't know if you are, but I am. But I also want to show you that's the big picture. The big picture of Christ's resurrection is it makes the prophecies true. It proves that Jesus is who he said he was. It proves that he is stronger than death. It proves that the scriptures can be believed and I can base my life on this Bible and know the certain outcome of my life. But I also want to show you this personally, what the personal promise of Christ's resurrection is. And Paul uses a word a couple of different times in this text that we're going to look at. But here's why this is personal for me. This is why Christ's resurrection is personal for me. Because there have been many pastors of Mount Zion Baptist Church before. If you don't know the history of the church, the church has been here almost 200 years. There have been a lot of pastors of Mount Zion Baptist Church before. And I didn't check this, but with it being here over 200, about 200 years, I assume that some of those pastors have died. That's true, Miss Chan? Yes, some of those pastors have gone on to be with the Lord. And their bodies have been taken and they've been buried in the ground and there's a new pastor here now, but if the Lord waits long enough, I'm going to die as well. And y'all take me and you'll bury me. I don't know if it'll be here or somewhere else, but they'll bury me somewhere. Because that's our custom. And I have loved ones that I have stood at the gravesite of those loved ones. I've, I've helped preach the funeral of friends and of relatives that I love. And I have seen their bodies as they've, they've taken them to put them in the graves there. And that's where they are. They've gone on to be with the Lord now. Those that have died that have faith in Jesus Christ, they're buried there. And if the Lord waits long enough, my parents... And some of your parents and some of your children and some of your spouses have done the same. They have passed on. They have finished their time here on this earth and they have passed on and they have been buried. And their soul is with Christ, but their body is in the ground here somewhere. And it becomes very important and very personal to me that Christ's resurrection is true because Christ's resurrection is the promise that my resurrection is going to happen as well. I want to show it to you in the text. Look back in verse 20. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Make note of that. For as by a man came death, by a man has also 
come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, there we see it again, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. I want us to see this meaning of this, this word firstfruits. What's he talking about there when he says the firstfruits? And some of you may have heard me share this at funerals before, but it's so fitting on today. I'll go ahead and give you the second point. Christ's resurrection promises ours will come also. His resurrection promises that my resurrection, His resurrection promises ours will come also. Because you see, if God can't raise Christ from the dead, then how can I trust Him to raise me from the dead? And if Christ is still, if he died on the cross and they put him in the tomb and he just stayed there because he has no power over death and he has no power to, to be resurrected and to come back to life, if that is true, then how can I have hope that my friends and my grandparents and those that I've stood there at their graves, that they are one day going to be resurrected? How can I trust that God can resurrect them if he couldn't resurrect Christ? See, it becomes very personal. It's not just a big picture question of is he alive or is he not. It's is he alive so that I can trust that my loved ones will come back to life. Is he alive so that I can trust that when y'all put me in the ground, that one day my soul is going to be reunited with my body and that I will be living in a glorified body in heaven. Can I trust that? Because if the resurrection isn't true, then I can't trust that. If Christ can't be raised, then I can't trust that I'm going to be raised. But in fact, we've already been over this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And it says here in verse 20 that he has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So it's, Paul's giving reference to this Old Testament idea, the first fruits. Every year, whenever the grain would come in, they were supposed to take the first bit of that grain which, of course, you'd be really excited about. Any of you that are gardeners or that are farmers, you know when the first bit of crop comes in, you're really excited because, all right, the plants did live. Uh, I did everything right. There are some tomatoes growing. There is some okra out there. There is some squash out there, right? The things are growing. But they were supposed to take that first bit of the wheat that grew, and instead of keeping it for themselves or saying, yes, I've been waiting so long so that I could have this to make some bread, instead of keeping it for themselves, they were supposed to give it as an offering. You might would call it the first fruits offering. The first bit that came in of the year, they would take it, and they wouldn't keep it for themselves. They would give it as an offering to God, which you can imagine how hard that is. right? You look outside, and that tomato is finally growing, and you get that first red-ripe tomato, and you can already taste it on the bacon and the lettuce with no mayonnaise because you don't put mayonnaise on a BLT. But you can already taste how good it. But just imagine taking that tomato and say, no, I'm not going to have this for myself. I'm going to give it as an offering to God. That's difficult. Right, the okra or the squash and you've already got the cornmeal ready and you're ready to fry this stuff because it's going to be so good. But instead of me taking, I'm going to give it to the Lord. That's what they did with the first grain that came in of the year. Why would they do that? One, they're showing that God is coming first, that I'm putting God before me, but they are also showing something else, and this is what Paul's getting at here. They're showing that I trust that if I give this to God, that he is going to ensure that I'm going to have more to come. So this is the first fruits, and when I give it to God, I'm trusting 
that in return that he is going to make sure that there's more. And that's what would happen. When they would give the first fruits to God, he would ensure that their crop and their harvest would be good for the rest of the year. So I will give this tomato to God even though I want it because I know, I trust that when I give this to him, that he's going to give me more. I'm not saying it's the same way now. So if you take your first tomato of the year and you don't eat it and you don't have any more, don't be mad at me. But that's how things used to be. And in this we see a picture of how Christ's resurrection is personal to us because he was the first fruits. And the fact that it happened with him promises that there's more to come. You see, in the same way that I can trust because this much grain came in that I give it to God and that more is coming, Christ has been raised from the dead, which is a promise that more are coming, that you and I, that our loved ones that have died, whose bodies have been placed in the ground, that one day they will be resurrected and Christ is the promise. He is the seal. He is the proof that that is going to take place. You need a promise that God can raise somebody from the dead, look to Christ. You need a promise that his guarantee is good, that he will raise you from the dead, look to Christ. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, I believe we have these verses for you, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he shows us a picture, Paul does, of what this will look like. I pray this will get you excited. Verse 16 For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful to think about? This is a picture of Christ's return. This is a picture of the resurrection. Whenever there's going to be a lot of commotion going on across the street, it says that Christ is coming back. And there's going to be this, uh, in times we read, there's going to be a trumpet. There's going to be the voice of an archangel. There's going to be a cry of command. And all of our loved ones that have died in Christ, they're already with him, but their soul is going to be reunited with their body. They're coming out of the ground. They're going to be reunited with their body. There's going to be a resurrection, not of just one Christ, but there's going to be a resurrection of all who have died in Christ. And then we, if we're still here, if this happens when we're still alive, those of us that believe in Christ, we're going to be called up. We're all going to meet together in the air, and then forever and ever, I'm going to be with Christ, and I'm going to be with all of those who have had their faith in Christ when they die. So not only are we going to be resurrected, but we're going to be resurrected to a glorious eternal life, to be with Jesus Christ in his presence in heaven forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, it's a big deal that Christ was raised from the dead. It's a big deal for me. Because I want this to be true. I want to get up after I've been put down. I want to come back out of that ground in this body. My soul reunited with this body. And I want to be with him and all of those that have died in him. And I want to be with them in heaven. I want to be there forever. And the only way that I can trust that that's true is if Christ is raised from the dead. And he is raised from the dead. So I believe it. The only other thing that I want to say to you this morning, I can't leave this wanting to be said because I believe that from the scriptures this last thing wants to be said. 
I've shown you the big picture of the resurrection, why it's important. I've shown you personally why the promise of his resurrection is important. But I also want to make sure that you understand this, that this is not universal. That this promise, that when your body is put in the ground, will be resurrected into glorious eternal life to be with Christ forever, is not a universal truth. It is only a promise made to those that have faith in Jesus Christ on this earth. You see, the fact that Christ died for our sins, the fact that Christ died in order to offer us salvation, only becomes a really credible fact whenever we respond to Him in faith. Because my sins are not forgiven if I have not responded to Christ in faith. If I have not confessed Him, Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. But if not, then the resurrection probably isn't that exciting to you. And the fact that He died in your place isn't that exciting to you because your sins are not forgiven. Not that they can't be, but they're not forgiven yet because you haven't responded in faith. All of these things that I'm excited about this morning do not apply to you if you've not ever responded to Jesus Christ in faith. But the beauty is that when he died, he did pay for your sins. If you will come and you will respond in him, your sins will be forgiven. Just because you're here and right now you're still guilty of your own sins and whenever you're resurrected, right, your body's put in the ground and you're going to be resurrected and you're going to face judgment, but the difference is when I'm going to be with Him forever, you're going to be separated from Him forever. Just because that's where you are right now doesn't mean that that has to be where you are when you leave here. Just because that's the reality of your life now doesn't mean that it has to be the reality of your life tomorrow because Christ has died. He has paid the penalty for your sins. And if you will come and respond to him in faith, if you will admit that he is the Lord of everything, that you have sinned and that you need to be forgiven and ask him to do that, he will do that. He will give you that forgiveness. He will take away your sins. And now all of these promises will be applicable to you. You will have reason to be excited as well. But I just want to make sure that you understand that all these things are not universal. They are only universal. They are only true for those that have faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to invite you to stand.